the world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. Busted. Bob Menendez. Wow, huh? Just an allegation at this point. And you know what? He did beat the rap once before, so who knows what's going to happen this time. However, right now, it's my turn to talk about Bob Menendez. People have been talking about him all day long. But as usual, I have some observations that have never occurred to anyone else on the planet. Number one, it all started so innocent, so beautiful for Bob Menendez back in 2006, at least as far as the United States Senate goes. I want you to know that I will wake up every morning and work as hard for you as I possibly can in the United States Senate over the next six years. I understand, I understand that I am a new face to most of the people of this great state. But everyone in New Jersey should know this about me. Every single hour of every single day for the next six years, I will dedicate myself to earning your trust and making you proud for the confidence you have given me tonight. He's going to work every hour of every day. Now, technically, that was for the first six years, right? That was all the way from 06 to 12. So more recently, uh, I don't think he made that commitment. Look at him here, having fun with some guy in the Dominican Republic, having fun with that uh, girlfriend, now wife, who mm, she's also in trouble in this, uh, may have had a big role, and just going to exotic place after exotic place. I mean, this is not a guy who's working day in and day out, hour by hour, for the people of New Jersey. And of course, career politicians, they got to take care of themselves. And sometimes they take care of themselves a bit too much. Here's the U.S. attorney, Damian Williams. Today I'm announcing that my office has obtained a three-count indictment charging Senator Robert Menendez, his wife Nadine Menendez, and three New Jersey businessmen, while Hannah, Jose Uribe, and Fred Davies for bribery offenses. The senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes. In exchange for Senator Menendez using his power and influence, to protect and to enrich those businessmen and to benefit the government of Egypt. 
The indictment alleges that Hannah, Uribe, and Davies provided bribes in the form of cash, gold, home mortgage payments, a low-show or a no-show job for Nadine Menendez, a Mercedes-Benz, and other things of value to the senator and his wife. Yikes. And here's the alleged loot. They raided the house. Uh, here's the Mercedes, the C-Class Mercedes, apparently the dream car of Nadine. Here's the cash they found. They say they found in the literally in the pockets of the U.S. Senate shirt and jacket. Do you know senators get shirts and jackets, official shirts and jackets? Apparently they do. And gold bars all over the place. One of these bars is worth $60,000. There were about three of them. Uh, implicated in the indictment is not only Senator Menendez, but his wife, Nadine. And she is said to be, well, um, on the spunky side, on the spunky side. Uh, the meat and potatoes of the Indictment go like this. Number one, uh, accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for using Menendez's power and influence as a senator and to benefit the Arab Republic of Egypt. What's with Egypt? Next, please. Menendez provided sensitive U.S. government information and took other steps that secretly aided the government of Egypt. And whew, agents found cash, gold, luxury, right? Over $480,000 in cash stuffed into envelopes and hidden in clothing, closets, and a safe. Another $70,000 in Nadine's safe deposit box. They even figured out the DNA on the envelopes that held the cash belonged to, you know, one of the businessmen's uh, drivers. So they did DNA testing. And then there's this text message they shared with us from Bob Menendez to his wife. This is an unusual text message between husband and wife. Tell Will I am going to sign off this sale to Egypt today. Egypt, 46,120 mm, that's millimeter, target practice rounds, and 10,000 rounds of tank ammunition for $99 million. Okay, husbands and wives always talk about tank ammunition. Note, these tank rounds are for tanks they have had for many years. They are using these in the Sinai for the counterterrorism campaign. I think that was a message maybe to anybody who might ever read these text messages that Bob thought that they were being used for peaceful purposes. These allegations, right, this is criminal conduct. This, we know, we can spot, I mean, if he's guilty, this is a crime. You compare this stuff to the stuff they're charging President Trump with and Rudy Giuliani with and the rest, all right? We all know the difference between a real crime and the fake setup job they've got going, the non-crimes, <laughs> President Trump, that they're making a federal case out of. Uh, the prosecutors, we've gone through their indictments, and they are, compared to what I just saw against Menendez, they are laugh out loud, funny, if not stupid, and totally sad. Let's start with Bragg. The local DA in Manhattan who disgraced himself um, and a good chunk of the legal community, quite frankly, with this hideous, totally absurd indictment and reasoning. In order to complete the scheme, they plan to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. I have never heard of a scheme like that, a criminal scheme like that, right? They disguise the money as income 
to the tax authorities. It's it. I mean, I've heard of uh, other things. I've heard of hiding money in the pockets of the shirt you got from the U.S. Senate, but disguising it as income to the tax authorities. That's strange. How about Fannie Willis, that legal eagle from Georgia? 19 people she's going after, including President Trump. You want to see some of the crimes that are in her indictment? Let's go through it. Uh, like really serious stuff, like sending a text message, placed a telephone call, left a voicemail message, tweeted from the Twitter account of real Donald Trump, that kind of stuff. It goes on. Um, somebody tried to speak to, I think, the neighbor of Ruby. Remember Lady Ruby? Somebody knocked on her door. Somebody said they could assist with his effort to speak to Ruby Freeman. That's not a crime. And neither is this from another one of these corrupt prosecutors, Tish James. It's her turn. Uh, how did she actually graduate from law school? But take a look. They received a series of bank ordered appraisals for the commercial property at 40 Wall Street in New York City that calculated the value of the property at $200 million as of August 2010 and $220 million as of November 2012. Yet, in his 2011 statement, Mr. Trump listed 40 Wall Street with a value of $524 million, which increased to $530 million over the next two years. Wow. Now, this is what really got me suspicious. I actually know something about 40 Wall Street. For 10 years, I lived about a half mile away from 40 Wall Street. It is an iconic New York building. It is one of the tallest buildings in the city. Uh, it's a pre-war building, Art Deco. It's really a fabulous building. Tish James says that this building in 2011 was worth $200 million, all right? Tish James, who barely graduated from law school, says it was worth 200 Donald Trump, who has spent his life in real estate, says the building is valued at $524 million. Now, seriously, just off the top of your head, forget about everything else. Who knows more about real estate? I know more about Tish James. I do. I read the newspaper. Sometimes I glance at the real estate section. And living in New York, I'm kind of curious about what buildings cost. So we did the comparables, the comps, they call it, back in 2011. This building, seven, uh, 230 Park Avenue, three quarters of a million dollars. It sold for that year. Not nearly as famous, by the way, in my opinion, as 40 Wall Street. Next, please. In 2010, a building at 340 Madison Avenue sold for $570 million. Now, this building, by the way, is a generic building. <laughs> you would never notice it walking by. It's not iconic. It's not historic. Next, please. This is, it's so easy, by the way, to debunk this nonsense. 2007, 666 Fifth Avenue, an iconic building, very well known, sold for $1.8 billion dollars. Now, granted, that's bigger than 40 Wall Street, and there was the real estate crash afterwards, but those other buildings were roughly the same size. Tish James, not a smart person, insists this building is worth 200 million. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's just a desperate effort to get Trump, just like Jack Smith, the other prosecutor. We got to get to him now. What did he say was so criminal? Remember, 
The newspapers that Donald Trump kept in the indictment, it says Trump gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, official and other official materials in cardboard boxes. And yeah, some of those materials were found at Mar-a-Lago. Is this evidence of a crime? Really, a crime? You compare this to the gold found in the guy's pockets in his house and the cash in the car in the driveway. Americans know what a real crime is. We know what a fake, trumped-up, nonsense, harassment indictment looks like. Um, I feel like he, though, followed the career politician trap that I think Joe Biden followed as well. This guy, uh, Bob Menendez, spent his whole life in politics, right? And what do you do when you spend your whole life in politics? You're constantly raising money, and you have to hang out with wealthy people to do that. And you start to think that you're entitled, that you should be wealthy as well. And you're not, by definition of your salary. Joe Biden, life in politics, right? From his 20s, and on and on and on and on and on. Um, yeah. Joe Biden, actually, a weird moment of clarity, maybe too much clarity, put it this way. The fortunate thing is I didn't have many larger contributors, and the only reason, see, I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself. Ready to prostitute himself for campaign contributions? If you're ready to do that and say it out loud, I think you might be able to prostitute yourself for a little bit of extra cash for that house, for that boat, for that car, for whatever it is you're into, Joe, and Joe is into a lot. You know, again, it's that proximity to rich people. And Joe had a very important job for a long time. And he used to say that we need more money. We should get more money because we're so important. He's quoted as saying this throughout the years. Back in 1974, I believe we should strive to reach the point where members of Congress give up the right to all income but their annual salaries. But here's the but. And we can come to that point only when our annual salaries fully reflect the magnitude of our duties and responsibilities. So when you're passing like trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar budgets, you think you deserve a hell of a lot more money than $200,000 or whatever it is. And you find yourself in this trap. And the rich people, you're more important than they are. But look at all that stuff that they get. You start to mooch off them. Joe is really... I mean, no shame about mooching, staying at rich people's houses, uh, just kind of inviting himself over and staying there. You get lost. I'm going to be here for a while. It's crazy. Who does this? Would you ever do it? I mean, nobody would do this. Even if you had a non-rich friend, you don't stay in somebody's house when they're not there. I think it's just uh... anyway, back to Bob Menendez for a moment. Uh, he was very much around rich people, even at work. And that's somewhat transformative versus what we do here uh, in the Congress on annual basis. So uh, I wonder, uh, do you have any thoughts in that regard as well? I'd love to hear uh, from both of you. Well, first, I think it's very important. Bill Clinton, and that's Bill Gates. Bill Clinton and Bill Gates. What do you think happened after the hearing, before the hearing, right? They, they all want it, right? They get bored of power. They want money. And I think this guy, I think this is part of the reason why he went down. Now, we'll see. He's busted right now. Um, but he beat the rap once before. You know, he was charged with corruption back uh, in 2016. And in 2017, it was a hung jury. 
and the judge dismissed all the charges against Senator Menendez. The prosecutors requested that. This case right now has nothing to do with the old case, and Jack Smith had a hand in that old case. So everybody is innocent until proven guilty. It doesn't look good, but right now, as of tonight, he's an innocent man. We'll be right back. Conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax. We're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax. We are real news for real people. Hi, go. Have you seen this awful video from Las Vegas? It happened about a month ago. These maniacs just crashed into that car deliberately. They're having a grand old time using wildly offensive language along the way, least of our problems right now, and they're about to kill a man. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped it right there, but they ran him over and they killed him. These are the two suspects in custody right now. Um, the one on the right, he's the one who was in the passenger seat, we're told. He's the video guy, Jasmir Keys, 16 years old. The guy on the left, well, a couple things about him. Jesus Alaya, driver of the vehicle, 18 years old. He is uh, reported to have boasted to cops that on this charge, on this rap, he's going to beat it in 30 days. I'll be out in 30 days. I will bet you. Now, curiously, this individual is being <laughs> officially, he's characterized as a white person. Yeah, on the arrest sheet. This has been a... Um, kind of a growing thing, a trend. They want to characterize more criminals who aren't white as white. It's very strange. Um, initially, well, when folks saw the video, some people noticed that there may have been, may have been a racial component to their carelessness when it came to that white cyclist. Just maybe, just maybe. And let's talk about the cyclist. He's dead now. There he is. You never know when life is going to change. His name, Andreas Probst. He was 64 years old, retired California police chief, leaves behind a loving wife, I think three children. And it's interesting, this man died, but you know, it's not necessarily a national cause, right? May have died in racially motivated violence, but you're not supposed to really, you know, and how can you say it's racially motivated? One of the perpetrators alleged was white. Very strange conversation in America going on about race to avoid an important one. And you know who's leading this bizarre shift? It's not really leading it, but he reflects it. Joe Biden. Charlottesville, Virginia. The very first words out of his mouth when he announced for president, Charlottesville, Virginia. We remember what happened there. It was awful. There was a riot and a person drove into a crowd. And yes, a young woman was killed and it was an awful tragedy. 
But that man was run over, and that was awful and horrendous and just horrible. That's forgotten. This is a national moment and remains so, right? This is the defining moment of Joe Biden's candidacy. Watch. That's when we heard the words of the President of the United States that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides? With those words, the President of the United States assigned a moral equivalence between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. So, that's not deceptive, he's flat out lying. But there's something I just noticed about this for the first time that actually makes the lie even more dangerous. First, let's clean it up. Let's show you the truth, what President Trump really said about Charlottesville. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. It's interesting. Um, he's totally right. You can be a good person and be totally against Confederate war statues on display. You could also be a very good person and say, you know what, we have to preserve them. They are part of our heritage. Like it or not, we should preserve them. It's pointing out that the skinheads, the neo-Nazis, they are not good people, not talking about them. But what Joe Biden is actually trying to do here, and I don't think he did because somebody wrote the script for him. Number one, yeah, in the short term, he wanted to lie and try to make this something it wasn't. But they're actually trying to say that you're a racist somehow if you believe that those statues should have been preserved. If you're on the other side of that debate. There's only one side of a debate these days, any debate, actually, it seems. A right side, their side, and the wrong side, the racist side. This episode he used is the very basis for his entire presidential campaign in 2020. Why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Why weren't the first words out of his mouth? I mean, he could have said Waukesha, right? Waukesha or some other crime. Why Charlottesville? Remember what happened in Waukesha? I guess he was already president, but it's interesting that he chose Charlottesville. One person was killed there. How many people were killed in some of these other events? Six, including a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old boy. Wow. What about what happened here in New York City? A madman went on a shooting spree in the subway and guess what? It was racially motivated. The individual, the suspect in custody, Frank James, has a record of incredibly horrific anti-white statements. Watch. You useless white whore, dirty white You wanna look down at me? You. The culture pretends that this doesn't exist, but it does. It's one thing for Hollywood or politically correct people to pretend it doesn't exist, but it gets really dangerous when law enforcement pretends this doesn't exist. Now, a few short years ago, there was a term for what you just saw there. It was called black identity extremism, and it was a category of crime. It still exists, that crime, but they don't have a term for it anymore because it made Democrats, certain Democrats, woke Democrats, uncomfortable.
So nobody's being surveilled or investigated on the black and any extremism. We don't use, we don't use that terminology anymore. That was part of the reorganization of all of our domestic terrorism threat categorization. That terminology went away uh, as part of this racially motivated violent extremism category. So what did survive the reorganization? Black identity extremism goes away, but white supremacy, that's here to stay. According to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. One of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. I obviously am very concerned about the rise of extremism and extremism related to You say to this white over and over and over again, and a couple of misfit teenagers in Las Vegas jump in a car and do something. This has so poisoned our country, what they keep saying, what they keep lying about. What a shame. I'll be right back. Well, Joe Biden is on a very big stage, the presidency. This week in New York City, the United Nations, an even bigger stage, the whole world really scrutinizing Joe Biden. And uh, he's not measuring up all kinds of problems everywhere he goes. A report that he went to a private fundraiser and repeated the same silly story twice, just said the same thing in, in, in two consecutive uh, sequences. 26% of voters think Joe Biden is mentally, cognitively healthy. Okay, 26%. What's up with those 26%? What's their situation? And then we have Fetterman in the Senate, who's, uh, yikes, uh, that's a real, that's kind of sad. Dr. Frank Contessa joins us once again, the internist, custom care medical. Uh, welcome back, sir. Did you get a load of Joe Biden this week? Yeah, I've been watching along with the rest of America, Greg. It's uh, it's it's a little bit uh, challenging to watch, and, and thanks for having me back. You bet. Now, listen, the whole thing about repeating uh, yourself, I heard he told the story, the fake story about the Charlottesville lie, you know, that Donald Trump said good people on both sides, like he met neo-Nazis, and he didn't, and he explicitly said otherwise. But he told the story twice about how that moment led to him to declare for president. Is that really a sign of Alzheimer's like I read about? Well, you know, Greg, it's kind of interesting. The last time I was on, uh, we talked about the lack of judgment that, that he's been showing, in addition to the memory issues and forgetting who he's talking to and, and shaking hands with inv invisible dead people. Um, but, you know, it made me start to think a, a little bit more about that there's more layers to this. And you know, it made me think back to, you know, in 1988, a lot of people forget about this. Joe Biden suffered a bleed into his brain. He had an aneurysm and what's called a subarachnoid hemorrhage. And what that means is he had a leaky blood vessel leak into the tissue of his brain. He had two open brain surgeries in 1988. Now, this particular condition has a very high mortality rate. Between a third and a half of people don't even make it to the hospital to get uh, th these things repaired. And the ones who do have a high likelihood of residual effects. Actually, only 5% only of people who suffer these will have no effects. 95% of people have some residual effects. All right. Yes, it's, it's, mem it's, it's memory, but it's also cognition. It's judgment. It's social interactions. And as he gets older, we see these things get worse and worse. All right. You know, uh, brain surgery in the 1980s was not like today. They had a saying back then, when the air hits your brain, you're never the same. Absolutely true. 
All right. Hey, stand by. Here's a look at Joe Biden's uh, highlights and lowlights from this week. This is a historical moment for Brazil and for the U.S. President Biden, can you hear me? I, you can? Yes, good. I know the staff is going crazy. They're supposed to say, we're supposed to ask the press to leave a long time ago. Give you, Mr. President. Together with 29 other partners, 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 and their partners. Republic of Brazil, accompanied by the Director General of the International Labor Organization. So some of these things he tries to play off, like I'm going the wrong way. Oh, that's just me. You know, I'm, uh, I'm the president and I'm going to be, you know, a regular person about it. But some of that is obviously, you know, he's losing it. Yeah, I think you're right, Greg. And you can you can write off one or two of these things. You know, we're all, especially people who are in, in, in public life, sometimes you stumble, sometimes you forget a word, you lose your place in a speech. But my goodness, this is becoming such a pattern that we, we it's almost, when he gets through a speech, people say, wow, he did great. He actually, like, stayed away. So uh, it's becoming such a pattern that uh, it's impossible to ignore at this point. All right. What about Fetterman? I mean, granted, being a United States senator, you don't exactly have access to the nuclear button, but um, I guess this was kind of sad. He actually spoke about the issues he's having. Listen to this, please. John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, one of them. Yeah, I had a stroke about 18 months ago, you know, and I have lost my ability to fully process language. That's it? Okay, just a little. <laughs> and then he got very emotional about it. I guess you can do that job even if you can't do that job somehow. Well, it seems like some of the senators are, are doing their, that job just fine without using much of their brain at all. Huh. Um, but I, I, I think the issue with, with, with Fetterman, and, and it's sad what happened to him. And again, this is as a doctor, but also as a citizen. But I think the problem is that they weren't upfront about his condition when he was running for Senate. And they weren't honest about how bad his condition was. When, and I think maybe the voters had a right to know that. When you go to run for public office, you're not a private citizen anymore. I think the citizens have a right to know your, your medical condition. And, and I think all politicians and all public figures should have to do this. If they're going to be making decisions for us, the people, then me as a, as a citizen and as a doctor, I'd like to take a look at those medical records and make sure that the people who are making those decisions are, are fit to do so. Yeah, to a point, though, right? To a certain point. You know, you run for Congress. You really want everybody knowing everything about you, you know? Do you? I know, but but if there are no, not that's true. But if there are legitimate health concerns, then I think we have a right to know those things. Yeah, yeah, and obviously we have been misled, especially about Biden. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank uh, Contessa. Please check him out at Dr. Frank on Twitter at Dr. Frank two seven three at Dr. Frank two seven three. Thank you, sir. Be right back. President Trump and his mutinous chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. You can kind of see it right there in his eyes, right? Not to be trusted. 
Mark Milley. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of President Trump's, but he made a mistake. And I think President Trump would admit making a mistake and not firing Mark Milley when he should have, uh, right after that uh, apology speech. Totally bizarre. Well, Mark Milley will be leaving his job in about a week. He's retiring, and on the way out, the fake news is going bananas with glowing profiles all over the place. This one in the Atlantic magazine, full of misleading information, attacks on President Trump, and yeah, plenty of fake news, verifiably fake news. So at this ceremony, when General Milley was sworn in back in 2018, uh, they tell a story about something that happened, and we have proof that the reporter is not telling the reader the truth. Certainly not the full story. Sally Ogden was actually there, our guest tonight on Newsmax. Now, maybe you've heard of the Fisher House. It's an amazing institution started by the Fisher family. The whole idea is if wounded soldiers or Marines are being treated, their family wants to be near them. But we don't want those families to incur massive hotel bills. So these are basically private, semi-private uh, facilities where the families can live at a very low cost, sometimes no cost at all. And we have the great Fisher family to thank for this. Arnold Fisher, legendary man. Uh, here he is at the opening of a Fisher house, the man in the red tie cutting the ribbon. Such a great uh, American, New Yorker, a king of real estate and philanthropy. He was married to Sally Ogden. Now, sadly, we lost Arnold um, last year, but he truly was an American hero. And Sally, his widow, welcome to Newsmax. Thanks for being here. How are you tonight? I'm well. Thanks, Greg, for having me. So you were there when General Milley was sworn in as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You were a VIP guest along with your husband, Arnold. First of all, just tell us generally what that event was like. Well, it was it was an amazing, impressive event. They had did it in a huge, huge space where they could march a lot of troops. And um, it was it was a wonderful event. It was pouring rain. The entire time. So um, everyone on the dais was soaking wet, um, pretty uncomfortable. We were all sheltered. Uh, it, it was really the military at its best. Beautiful. Now, we have a picture of uh, President Trump greeting Captain Avila right after he performed a song. And we'll get to the song in a moment. But, you know, <laughs> I've seen presidents meet with troops before, and it's a handshake. President Trump, <laughs> I've never quite frankly seen him like that, uh, on the verge of hugging that soldier. You saw this moment. Tell us a little bit about it. Greg, he did hug him. He kissed him. And for me, that was an amazing experience to watch. Um, he, soaking wet, as I said, marched out there all by himself. Captain Avila was quite further back from the dais. And he embraced him. He congratulated him. He hugged him. And his wife, um, Claudia, was there as well. And he had a long conversation with the Avilas, maybe really long, I mean, possibly as long as 10 minutes. He just spent with them, focusing on them. It was so incredibly compassionate. And, you know, Captain Avila had been through so much when he came home 
from battle. He was he wasn't able to speak. He wasn't able to move. He uh, went through some of the centers that my husband Arnold had built, and they got him to this point. And he loved the ceremony. He loved to be out there and sing. It was his favorite. By the way, I mentioned the um, kind of the hostels provided to families of those waiting for their loved ones to recuperate. But uh, I didn't nearly do uh, justice to everything the Fisher family has done, including these facilities, the medical facilities, the burn units and everything else. It is absolutely amazing. Um, Maybe you're hearing a little bit about General Milley and what he's telling people happened at that event. Are you generally aware about how this has been represented? No, Greg, I had no idea, which is why I'm here to discuss it, because it was totally different than it's been represented, completely different. And I was shocked. Uh, General Milley was a friend of Arnold's. He, he had come to before he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He came to speak at his birthday party. Um, he gave Arnold a ceremony in Washington honoring him. Um, so I was not aware of... Uh, what he'd said about President Trump. Clearly, clearly not true. So what we're going to do is go through in detail what what was alleged to have happened in that magazine right when we come back from the break. And we'll show also what actually happened. But I want to show this picture one more time. You've seen, you saw this firsthand. I certainly did. And and Donald Trump is not a hugger, quite frankly. Um, But He is moved, and folks can't see this, but Captain Avila in the wheelchair, he's confined to a wheelchair, is severely wounded. Uh, Let's see here. He uh, he's missing a leg. He had a leg amputated. He suffered two heart attacks, two strokes, brain damage as a result of his injuries. And they tried to say that President Trump was somehow disrespectful to him and all the wounded. and we see the photographic evidence right there that that is not true. And I guess that's the fake news for you, huh? Well, I, I was astounded, which is why I tried to get in touch with you. He not only greeted him that way, he hugged him and kissed him and spent a lot of time with Captain Avila and his wife. Well, thank you for coming in. And uh, we're not done yet, all right, because we actually have more of what happened there. And I'd like to go into detail about what is alleged by Mark Milley and his fake news ally, uh, Mr. Um, Goldberg, I believe, at The Atlantic Magazine. It really is fascinating, kind of sad, but the truth is awesome. We'll be right back. Thank you. All right, that's the day that General Milley was sworn in as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and a new major profile of General Milley, who's taking all kinds of shots at General Trump, just came out in the Atlantic magazine, and it seems to severely represent what happened on that day. We're joined by um, Sally Ogden, uh, widow of Arnold Fisher, great man, and she was actually there that day, witnessed the whole thing. Sally, I'm going to go through the story, okay, so everybody knows what was reported from the Atlantic magazine. Um, at his welcome ceremony, Meyer, uh, this is uh, Millie, 
At Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall, Milley gained an early and disturbing insight into Trump's attitude towards soldiers. Milley had chosen a severely wounded Captain Luis Alvilla to sing God Bless America. Avia, who had completed five combat tours, had lost a leg in an IED attack in Afghanistan and had suffered two heart attacks two strokes, and brain damage as a result of his injuries. After Avila's performance, Trump walked over to congratulate him, but then said to Milley with an earshot of several witnesses, why do you bring people like that here? No one wants to see that, the wounded. Never let Avila appear in public again, Trump told Milley. Recently, Milley invited Avila to sing at his retirement ceremony. Um, I want to show something that is not mentioned in this uh, ne nearly at all sufficiently. Let's actually go to the moment of the performance. Captain Luis Avila, a U.S. soldier severely wounded by an IED explosion December 2011 in Afghanistan, uses music therapy as a critical component to his healing. Captain Avila will now join the Joint Service Quartet in singing God Bless America. America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her the light, with the light of her bone, for the rumble. All right, we are stopping it right there, and everybody else in the choir joins in right after the song, This Happens. That was incredible. It was incredible. Wow. You know, the president, that was more than, <laughs> thank you for coming here. Oh, thank you for showing that, Greg. He, he, what was said was clearly, clearly a terrible, bald-faced untruth. Um, he's hugging Claudia Avila and her husband. Um, we had met the Avilas in uh, Arnold Center, which is the National Intrepid Center of Excellence in Bethesda, which he built for brain injury and PTS. And uh, then afterwards, he built nine at other other bases because he wanted to cure these kids with, with those afflictions before they got out of the military. So we had met the Avilas before. And I know their story. And Captain Avila was not able to speak for a very long time, lift his head off the gurney. They worked on him for a long, long time, and his wife, Claudia, was never left his side, so devoted and always knew that he would get to be able to do this one day. And Millie and his history. crew bringing this episode up in this 
article, which is a uh, total joke, and actually it's quite disgusting. I've never seen President Trump hug anybody that I can recall, and certainly not like that. You know, a, a, a double hug, a triple hug, and uh, then it was like a huddle. Now, yes, I will... and he stayed there and spoke to them for quite a long, long time. He was very, very moved. It was compassion and then some. Well, that certainly wasn't reflected in this story at all. At certainly all. Um, I thank you so much, Sally. I, uh, I, I really do for coming in and setting the record straight. Okay. No, I thank you, Greg, for setting the record straight. Thank you. It's a privilege. Sally Ogden and uh, Arnold Fisher, the great Fisher family. Take care. What, you must be some special lady if he picked he you and man. you found each other. I love it. Well, all right. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. No blind rhetoric. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. Newsmax. They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. Thank you. Have a great weekend. I will see you on Monday.